Hi, this is Liz Craven. Welcome to Sage Aging. This is your podcast for understanding the aging and caregiving journey and connecting to the information and resources that will make your experience better. Before we dive in, let me remind you that you can find all Sage Aging episodes, the Sage Aging Elder Care Guide, and much more at eldercareguide.com. Welcome back. This is part two of how to ace your next doctor's appointment. In our last episode, I was joined by Sandra Washington. She is a patient advocate, she's an author, she's a healthcare speaker, and she spends her time helping other people to get the most out of their healthcare, helping people to communicate, and she helps to advocate for those who need her assistance in getting the best healthcare possible. She dropped a lot of great information last time, and if you missed it, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to that as well as this episode. So while last time we focused on what you could do to prepare for your doctor's appointment, today we're going to talk about the things that you can do to have a successful visit with your healthcare provider, and also how to successfully follow up with that visit. So without further ado, let's get started. And here is the second part of my conversation with Sandra Washington. Okay, we are going to move on. We are sitting in the doctor's office. What are a few tips for how we should experience that doctor's visit from our end? What are the things that we should proactively be doing while we're there? So when you get to the doctor's office, what you don't want to do is if you have an appointment for two o'clock and you realize at 2.10, you're not going to make it, you want to pick up the phone and call a doctor's office and let them know. I realize I'm running late. I'm going to be about 20 minutes late for my appointment. Is it okay if I still come? Doctors have time limits. So if your appointment right. is going to push you past your appointment time, at least call and let them know. Say, hey, I'm running late. Do you still want me to come or should I reschedule? But don't just continue to go. Right. The other issue is be very, very respective, right? We all love respect. In order to get respect, you have to give respect. So mm-hmm. if something is not going right for you during that appointment time, don't get overly upset and mad and you know start an argument or whatever. Just say, who can I place a complaint? Or when you get to see the doctor. So that doctor is aware of what his staff is doing because everyone that works in that doctor's office is a representative. And no doctor, at least I haven't met anyone yet, no doctor wants their staff to be inconsiderate of the patient, but at the same time, the patient has to be considerate of themselves and also of the office. So that's what I would do as far as being proactive and making sure that your appointment goes without a hitch. Do understand that sometimes a doctor may be called away at the last minute as an emergency. You may have to wait a little while. If you have an appointment at 2.30, and it's 2.45, and your doctor has not called you back into his office to see you and to treat you, please proceed to the front desk and ask them what the holdup is. Don't just sit there and wait for your doctor. Mm -hmm. It's not going to work. Yeah, that's a pretty common scenario. Your time is valuable to you. The other proactive tip that I want to bring up, and we all do it, 
is please don't go to your doctor's office and tell them what you read on Google. (laughs) Because because But why? We're all Google doctors. Didn't you know that? (laughs) But Google is a good place for you to get good resource information, but it really depends on who's putting that information out there on the internet. I'm not telling you don't look at the information, but what I am telling you to do is don't go to the doctor and have him explain something to you and say, well, you know what, doctor, I read on Google. No, don't do that. Don't diminish his role in your healthcare journey by telling him what you read on Google. Right. Say you got a doctor's appointment and you're like, well, I'm going to actually ask him this and I'm going to see what Google says about it. Do yourselves a favor and make sure you're writing down the information, whose organization, who posted that information, because you tend to actually put more stress on yourself by following inaccurate information. So it's good to bring it to him. But bring it to him like, hey, doc, what about this? If they bring you other information other than what you read, please don't go and say, well, yeah, but you're saying this. But Google says because you don't want to diminish your relationship with your doctor by setting it up like that. Right, right. So be prepared. Write your questions down. Write your concerns down. If you have questions about anything, whether that's medication, whether it's how you're feeling or how to do something, those are things you want to write down in advance so that you can be prepared and that when you have those few minutes with your physician, you're able to talk to him or her about all of the things that are most concerning for you. And when you get there, to be proactive as it relates to your appointment time and to be respectful of all involved and hope for the best experience for everybody. So once you've seen the doctor after the appointment, when you go home, what are some things that we should be paying attention to after our appointment? You should really be paying attention to your health. And what I mean by that is if you go to the doctor's office and the doctor prescribes for you some medication, and you start taking that medication, and you start noticing that you're getting sick or that you're starting to have headaches or anything out of the norm is starting to happen with you, call your doctor's office immediately because the chances are that there's some type of medication error that's occurring. Medication errors are preventable, but if the doctor doesn't know it, He's not going to be able to help you protect your own health because you're not saying anything. But don't stop taking the medicine. Take the medicine, but call your doctor immediately. Once you notice that something is just not right, call them immediately. Because sometimes what they'll say is, you know what, well, let me lower your dosage or when did you take it? Because medication, if it's taken at the wrong time, can have adverse effects. The other thing is use your pharmacist as your next best friend, especially when it comes down to medication, because a lot of times they will be able to actually look at your medication that your doctor prescribed for you. They might be able to give you some suggestions until you talk to your doctor. But once again, first step after you leave the doctor's office, if you're placed on some type of medication, please call your doctor and let them know. Please make sure... Once again, we are going back to the electronic health record system. 
please make sure that you're going into your electronic health record system after that visit and making sure that the notes that appear in your file are what actually happened. A lot of times we don't realize it that the information that's in our electronic health record system is not what happened. We don't realize that those records are not complete. You need to make sure that your records in your electronic health record system are complete. When you apply for life insurance or you apply for any other type of insurance, they're able to verify that information to see what is actually going on. So make sure you look into your electronic health record system to ensure that what they have in there is what's there. Make sure that what the diagnosis is that you went there for is in your notes. If you went in there and they just did a regular office visit, make sure that your notes say office visit. Make sure that it says that because those diagnoses and procedure code information that's in your electronic health record system, once again, work for more than just you and your doctor. So please make sure that you're looking at that once you get home and you check. If it's not up there immediately, give it 24 hours and check. If it's not in there after 24 hours, you call your doctor's office and ask them, what are they waiting for to put your electronic health records in the system? Because they should be in there by then. Right. And it's important to check because that also has to do with how much they bill you. An office visit is less expensive than another type of procedure. So that is important to check. And I do want to reiterate the point about checking your medications because most people have multiple providers. And if you have one doctor prescribing you one thing, and then your other provider doesn't know about that medication and prescribes you something else, it's very common to find that there's an interaction of some kind. So having your pharmacist look at your medications list, or even better, carrying your medications list with you to each doctor's appointment will assist your physician in making sure they don't prescribe something to you that might interact with something else that you're already taking. Right. And actually, Liz, that plays well into my other point, which is please make sure that you have a medical team that works together, meaning Mm -hmm. that your primary care doctor works with all your specialists. They all recognize each other. They all know what their own strengths and weaknesses are when it comes to providing care to patients. They all want the same thing that you want, which is optimal health care. When you don't have a medical team that's working for you, I'm going to put myself out there. I had a medical team. I had this medical team for quite some time. And all of a sudden, one of my doctors wanted to act like, okay, well, I'm not doing what everybody else is doing. I'm going to do my own thing. Not without me. I mean, (laughs) how are you just going to distance yourself from what everybody else on my team is doing, which is to better my care, how are you going to just distance yourself and decide that you want to go play by yourself? Okay, so since you want to play by yourself, I'm going to let you play by yourself, and I'm just going to find somebody else that fits your role on my medical team. This is highly important to all patients. If you're working with a medical team, one, make sure that they recognize that the most important role in that team belongs to you. So make sure 
that they understand that, that you all are on the same page. This is my health care. I'm the one that's in charge here. We all need to work together for the betterment of me. If you have a doctor that doesn't believe in what you do or doesn't particularly care for another way, another doctor is treating you, it's time for you to step back from that picture and look and see if that medical team that you have is the medical team that you need to have and that you should have. When you have the wrong doctors, the wrong providers, the wrong therapists on your medical team, it doesn't turn out well. And one reason is because while you might start off trusting them, you start to develop a distrust in them because you realize that somewhere along the line, there's a weak link. And when you have a weak link and you haven't really figured it out yet who that weak link is, your own health takes a hard hit because when you're stressed out and you don't have trust in the team that's working with you, you just, you are non-compliant. Mm-hmm. And so non-compliant means you taking your medicine when you want to take your medicine, you supposed to go back and see Dr. Smith in three months, that three months becomes six months. And before you even reach that six months, you're in the hospital because something went wrong and you didn't take care of it correctly. Not having a good medical team on your side working with you actually is very, very disruptive to your health care. Good point. So here's another important component that we haven't talked about yet, and that is bringing someone with you. I think we touched on it earlier, but let's stress the importance of bringing someone with you to a doctor's appointment. And in the absence of someone that you trust in your close family and friends circle, there's always the option to use a patient advocate. Why is it important to have someone with you when you visit your doctor? It is important for you to have someone with you because say you go to the doctor's office and he tells you something and you take it as one way, but then that's not really what he meant. And you're a type of person that doesn't really like to ask questions or just figures, okay, well, you know, whatever he said and just go along with it. You should never be going along with anything. You should always make sure that you're understanding everything. So having someone with you ensures that you're understanding everything because you have a second set of ears. Mm -hmm. No one, absolutely no one should be going to the doctor's office by themselves. You want to make sure you have someone in your own system, like a family member, a friend, a patient advocate that can actually make sure you understand exactly what's going on in that visit. It really is important. And one of the roles that extra person can play is to actively take notes on everything that's being spoken about and those points that need additional research and clarity later, you can ask your provider, okay, so I've been diagnosed with XYZ. I really would like to learn more. Where are the good resources that I can dig into? Do you have something you can provide for me? Or can you send me to a reputable place online that I can at least read and educate myself? And that's a better way than like you said, going to Google. But to have somebody sitting there with you in an appointment If you're getting some kind of news or you're concerned about how you're feeling, it's hard to remember to ask those things and having somebody there to advocate for you and to just even keep track of the conversation, even if they never say a word, is a good thing. 
Right. It, it, it most certainly is. And the other thing is that if my daughter or my son or whoever's going with me to the doctor's office, it's really important for you to discuss with them before you go to the doctor's office. Here's some things that are bothering me, but I'm really not sure how to address them so that that person that's going with you can make sure that they get addressed. But once mm-hmm. again, it's something that needs to be written down because we all know how busy our doctors, our nurses, our techs, we all know how busy they are. And sometimes they may not have the resources to get right back to you. But that second person will know exactly what points you're trying to raise. Not only that, they'll help to ensure that you're not rushed out of that office until you get the answer that you want to get. Because when we go to the doctor, a lot of times it's because we're sick. And when we're sick, our mind is not focused on, okay, well, what can I do to get myself healthy? But what are some of the best tools? What are some of the best things that I could do? What's some of the information that I need? Our mind is not on getting that information. Our mind is on, I'm sick and I need to feel better. So our thinking process is not the same. So if we're going to the doctor's office with someone, make sure you share with that person what your thoughts are, what your concerns are, what your worries are. Make sure that person that's going with you is writing that stuff down so that they not get into the doctor's office and say, well, I know she told me something, but I really can't remember what it is. If it's written down, all parties involved will know exactly what questions you have, and they'll also be able to write down what answers you receive. Right. Well, let's spend a minute talking about what a patient advocate is. I know it seems like it's pretty obvious, but there is a lot more to it than simple advocacy. Yes, it is. And thank you so much for asking me that. Technically, a patient advocate is a person that assists the patient in maintaining and getting to the point of optimal health care. You have patient advocates that cover a wide spectrum of things. You have patient advocates that deal with billing. You have patient advocates that do appeals. You have clinical patient advocates, such as doctors and nurses, who actually work with the patient. Say the patient is given some clinical information, diagnosis, and they're really not sure what it is, and they're you know, not sure what the best route for treatment is, what the options are. A clinical patient advocate will help that person to understand exactly what it is that's going on. They'll be able to break down that big, long word that you heard in the doctor's office. And the doctor said, did you understand what I said? And you're like, yes, and you didn't understand it, but you didn't want to seem like you were really out of the loop on things. Because a lot of times what happens with doctors is they talk to us, not with us. So they'll throw out a big word and they'll say, you have xylocone. And you're like, okay, he said I got xylocone. Without telling you, you have xylocone and this is what xylocone is. Or without breaking down the spelling for it so you could go look at it yourself to see what xylocone is. A lot of times they don't mean to do it, but it happens. But if you're a patient and you don't have anyone and you go to the doctor and you're hearing all these medical terms floating around, a clinical patient advocate will help you in that sense because they'll be able to explain it to you in language that you understand. So myself, I, I am a board certified patient advocate. I have over 30 years in healthcare experience in the healthcare system. I do billing. I do appeals. I do everything but clinical because I'm not a clinical advocate, but I have a clinical counterpart counterparts 
that I can call and say, hey, I'm working with this patient. This is what's going on. They need help with this. Are you available? And then that Mm -hmm. person will be able to step in and say, yes, we can talk. And that's how patient advocates work. If one of us can't do something, we're sure going to be able to find you somebody else that will be able to do something. So I'm here in Chicago. So I work in Illinois. I actually do have virtual clients that will call that I work with. But that's what a patient advocate is. It's to assist the patient. And I'm going to put it to you like this, Liz. We're there to assist the patient, the patient. We Mm -hmm. will help the patient's family to understand what's going on with the patient. We will help whoever it is that the patient says, I want them on my team. I want them to know what's going on. But due to HIPAA rules and regulations, if you are not the direct patient, the only way we will be able to help you, and if someone else does this differently, they're not ethically doing patient advocacy work. The only way that we can help assist a family member with what's going on with the patient is if the patient signs HIPAA documentation saying it is okay for Johnny to have my information. It's okay for Dr. Smith to have my information because if the patient does not tell us that's what they want, we cannot and we shouldn't be doing it. That's a great point. And also that applies to your family members that you want to have access to your medical information as well. You need to put those forms in place with your medical providers so that they can have access because that can cause a lot of problems, especially if you are a caregiver and you are in charge of keeping track of your loved one's medical appointments and you're the one who's advocating. And even if you go to the appointment with them and your loved one invites you back to the room, that doctor cannot communicate with you unless that HIPAA form is in place. So that's something you want to make sure you take care of, whether it's a family member or a patient advocate. Great. Right. And you know, Liz, with that, what I do actually want to add to that, when you said, what do you do when you get to the doctor's office? Make sure that you have a HIPAA form on file for each doctor you go to. So if you are seeing four doctors, all four of those doctors need to have that form. If you're seeing four doctors and each doctor is in a different office, whether they're in the same building or not, if they're in the same office, they'll share that form. But if they're not in that same office, same same building, but different office, you need to make sure that they have a HIPAA file. You need to make sure that they have a signed HIPAA documentation stating who it is that can get your information. If you do not have that information, and sadly, this happened a lot with COVID, there were people that wanted to help. They were not able to help because their names were not on any HIPAA medical forms in their office. Mm. So they wanted to give the information and they wanted to be of some assistance to the person who was sick. They couldn't do it. And while the doctors wanted to be able to give the family as much information as they could, they couldn't do it. Not only the doctors, but anybody in that office couldn't do it. If they opened up that file and saw that you did not have any HIPAA representative listed, 
they can't give that information out. The same thing with your insurance companies. Please call your insurance companies and ask them whose name is on file for being able to speak to them. Should you need help or should they have to call in? Who could they talk to? If they tell you that there is no name on file, please make sure that you actually get the forms, have them send you the forms. Say, could you please send me the HIPAA forms? Get those forms filled out. If you are listening to this podcast and you don't have that information on file, please take the time now when you hear this and say, you know what? Let me go get those forms because I don't. Accidents happen all the time. Emergencies mm-hmm. happen all the time. The last thing that anyone wants is for an accident or an emergency to happen to someone they love and they can't get information, they can't give information. Be proactive about ensuring that all forms are completed in all of the doctor's offices that you're seeing, especially if they're not in the same office. Please, 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 I beg of you, make sure you get that information because when you're having an accident or an emergency, that's the wrong time for you to say, oh, I need to go get these papers completed. Please be proactive about it and make sure you get those papers signed immediately. What happens with the insurance company, there used to be an infinity date that you could put on the HIPAA forms that you sent to your insurance company. What's an infinity date? 9999. So that means I sent this to you on 5-2022. I don't want this to ever end. So I'm just going to put the infinity date. The infinity date lasts forever, 9999. Many mm-hmm. insurance companies now will only hold that form and that signature on that form for a year. Please make sure you're calling your insurance company and saying, can you tell me if that form is still valid? Because say the form expired at the end of 2021 and you get sick, it's now 2022, that form is not valid. So make sure you're checking to ensure what their date is for the activity of those forms. Good advice. That's really important. And that's something that they're not sharing, but it's information that you do need to know. That will go on the checklist. So we've covered a lot. Are there any tools or resources that we've missed pointing out that you would encourage listeners to dig into? So I'm going to give two walkaway tips. One, if you go into the emergency room, if you're sick and it's just you have a cold or you have a fever or maybe you have a splinter or something that doesn't require you going to the emergency room, please go to urgent care. If you go to an emergency room and it's not a true emergency, your out-of-pocket expense is going to be higher than it would if you went to an urgent care. So for those of you that are on Medicare, a traditional Medicare, where you're responsible for the 20% that Medicare doesn't pay out of the 80% that they do pay, that 20% is much lower for you for out-of-pocket if you go to an urgent care. If you go to an urgent care, what occurs is that your medicine, your medical, your x-rays, your labs are all charged one time. And so you're not getting 
five bills after you leave out of the emergency room. You're getting one charge and it's going to be tied to that urgent care center and it's much lower than you going to the emergency room. Your 20% is going to be much lower than you going to an emergency room. So please only use an emergency room when it's a true emergency. That's my first tip when it comes down to seeking care. The second tip is Please don't use your emergency room doctor as your primary care doctor. If you don't have a primary care doctor, please choose a primary care doctor. People call it a family doctor. Please find one. And the reason why is because when you go to an emergency room, your emergency room doesn't keep a track of what's going on with your health care. They keep track of that day's appointment of when you came in and what they did to you while you was at that emergency room, but they don't keep the ongoing log. Emergency right. room doctors are excellent at providing care, but they are not primary care doctors, and they shouldn't be looked at as primary care doctors. And when you go to an emergency room to seek treatment, and there are people there that are really, really sick that need to have care, you hold up that care that those people who are really, really sick and really do need to be in the emergency room, you hold up that care because you're using it for the wrong reason. So if you don't have a primary care doctor, please establish a relationship with a primary care doctor. Make sure that primary care doctor becomes a part of your medical team, one that you can trust. And one that you know what they tell you, you're going to be compliant with. So that's my other thing. The third thing when it comes down to receiving care and receiving treatment is please, if you have insurance, call your insurance carrier and ask them what labs are in your network. Because you don't want to do exactly what we were talking about earlier, which was going to a lab and getting a charge for something that you don't know and you don't think you're responsible for because you're following the directions given to you by your in-network doctor, be proactive and call your insurance company and say, hey, who's in my network as far as labs? Who's in my, in my network as far as x-rays? All of the outlying services that you receive from a hospital, please check with your insurance company and see who's in your network. Have them send you a list so that you have the list, your caregiver will have the list, Family and friends will have that list should you need it. They'll be able to help you because the last thing you want to do is be sick and then get hit with a huge bill. What happens when you go to the emergency room for services is they will charge you a professional fee, which is for the doctor, and they'll also charge you a technical fee, which is for the use of the emergency room for whatever reason. So always seek to do your services in the outpatient location and always only use the emergency room when it is truly an emergency. Those are the tips that I want you to actually walk away with as well as make sure that you have your HIPAA forms all caught up. Make sure you have all the documentation that you need to have completed. I mean, your living will and your trust, your power of attorney paperwork. Make sure you have all that completed and in a safe place somewhere. Should you be in an accident or should you be taken to the emergency room and treatment is needed and it's not to your best benefit, they will know who they can talk to, who they can work with, what the next chain of command is for you. Please make sure you do those things. 
very good advice. And in past episodes, we have done an episode on how to construct your medical binder. I will link that in the show notes and the blog post for you so you can refer back to that. It's a good idea. Have everything all organized and in one place. And we did a little tutorial on that last year. So look for that note. This has been a great conversation. Thank you for that. But I do want to give you a moment to tell us about your new book. Well, I've self-published a health planner and journal. There's a couple of important things to note about the health planner and journal. One is there's no end date on it. It's an infinity planner. And that's because I realized that doing a planner and putting a yearly date on it is no good for anyone, right? I mean, really, it's no good for anyone to do. But one of the biggest pieces that I put into the planner and journal is space for you to add your family history. Your family history is very, very important. People that presented to the doctor or to the hospital during COVID were very often told about some kind of underlying condition that they had no idea they had. Like nobody ever talked about this. They didn't know it existed in their family. Having that family health history is critically important. For those that are in our older American population, it's critically important, one, so that you leave your legacy behind, two, so that your children, your grandchildren will know. Mm -hmm. A lot of us don't know what our family history is because we haven't delved back that far to see, but yet we're being told now that we have these conditions. So to circumvent that, if you have your family history written down, your children, your grandchildren will know when they go to the doctor's office, will help them with their lives and it will help them to actually provide information for those that follow behind them to know what conditions ran in their family, what they did for how mom or dad dealt with it. So that's a big part of the book. There's notations in there that you can take. There's places in there where you can add your own information in reference to your medicines, who's your doctors. All that information is included in that planner and journal and plenty of space for you to write your notes. I wrote it as a being a part of a family heirloom because that's exactly what it is. It allows you to keep track and it allows those in the family to keep track of exactly what went on as far as health related concerns with your family. So that book is self-published. It can be purchased on Amazon by putting in my name, Sandra L. Washington. It can be also purchased on my website, which is www medihelps which is all one word m-e-d-i-h-e-l-p-z dot com i'm also actually have a book right now in the metaverse so for those of you that do not know what the metaverse is in the metaverse is actually a virtual world so the book is in the metaverse is included as a part of the virtual soulful chicago book fair so there's three different places that people can purchase and they can also send me an email i offer a one hour free consultation during that consultation my customer client will actually tell me why is it that they contacted medihelps whatever they need assistance with that hour is free I will do two things. I will go over with you what the issue is. At that point in time, I will let you tell me, do you want MediHelps to do this 
or do you want to do it yourself? And I will give you the steps to handling your own business because you said you wanted to handle it yourself. One of my mantras is each one, teach one, reach one. And in doing my business like that, what I pray that will happen is that you call me and ask me for help. I help you, you learn, and then the next person, one of your friends, family, whoever, one of them asks you a question, well, you now know what to do because you worked with MediHelps and MediHelps taught you what to do so you can help them. It's all about making sure that all patients receive optimal health care. So I do offer that free of charge. You are a wealth of information and knowledge. I appreciate so much that you're willing to share all of this with us and all of your time in all of the other things that you do. That's how I encountered you in the first place. We are very like-minded and like-hearted in the way that we feel that we want to provide what we know to others to make an experience better. So thank you for being who you are. Oh, thank, thank you. you. For ha- thank you for having me. I Once again, to everyone listening, should you have questions, Liz knows exactly how to get in touch with me. She has, <laughs> she has, yeah. she's <laughs> such a sweetheart. She has oh, all my you. information. Please outreach Liz. If you can't remember my personal information that I just gave out, please contact Liz. We yeah. have to have to have to start using our voice we have to recognize our voices are most important too when it comes down to receiving i I don't want you to just give me health care i can go anywhere Mm -hmm. and get health care i don't want you to give me a c-rated health care i want an a plus plus health care and so in order to get an a plus plus health care i realize that i'm gonna have to use my voice Please Mm -hmm. don't be afraid to talk to your doctors. They're there to help you. If you feel that they're not there to help you, please don't stay with that doctor. Please find another doctor, one that you know understands you and understands your pain and understands your history and is willing to work with you. That right there is a golden nugget of sage advice. Sandra, thank you so much for being with me today. I really do appreciate you. You're welcome, and I'm sure we'll be talking soon. Absolutely. And thank all of you for listening. Wow. Did we just fill your brain with all kinds of things you don't know what to do with? (laughs) It's okay. You know that you can always revisit this episode anytime in the blog post. I'll recap everything that we've talked about here, and we'll also include a full transcript. So hold on to this. This one was an episode that was very practical that gave you a lot of good things that you can use in your real life. We'll also be providing the checklist that goes along with this episode in that blog post. So make sure you visit that. You can find it at eldercareguide.com. And if you're not receiving our newsletter already, I'd love to encourage you to do that. You can also sign up for that at eldercareguide.com. And you can find all of the other great information and tools that we have for you there. I am going to stop it right there. We've given you enough to chew on, but thank you for joining us. And we will talk to you real soon.